All right, well, if, uh, if you are new, you may not know this. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. We're going to use that. You're definitely going to use it a lot today. We definitely want to pull that out and be ready. And if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited. We're excited about what you're doing in our church. God, it seems like week after week, you are just speaking powerfully. Lives are being changed, transformed. We're learning what it looks like to follow you and, and let you lead us, putting off the old, putting on the new, so we can become the new people we're created to be, uh, like you. Uh, every week it's happening. And so, God, we're just anticipating that again. And we ask you to come. We know that only happens when you speak. It doesn't matter if I speak. It matters whether you speak. And so we ask you to speak. We ask you to lead. With you to transform, meet us here. If you, as you lead, we will follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our story starts today. <laughs> what? It's a uh, it's cold winter day in Washington, D.C. He's a young attorney. He's only been working for this firm. It's one of the largest firms in our nation. He's only been working there a couple years, but he's doing well. 800 attorneys in this firm alone, high-rise building. And it's time for lunch, and so he's walking through the snow flurries, the gray overcast day to lunch. It's a beautiful lunch as he normally does. He makes a lot of money. And uh, he heads back, walks into the, the, uh, the high-rise, goes to the elevator, hits the steps in, into the open door, hits number the, the, the uh, button for sixth floor, gets in. Right as he's ready to get in, uh, a large man dressed in a heavy trench coat, big rubber boots, steps in behind him. And right away, something seemed off. Doesn't seem like this gun fits here. So the door is closed. The man steps to the back of the elevator. He can smell him. He smells like the street. Smells like cigarette smoke, alcohol. Hasn't had a bath in a long time. The man's homeless. And so he's just glad when he gets to the sixth floor, he can get off. He gets off, takes a left, heads down the hall, long hall to his office. About halfway down, all of a sudden it starts. Here's a, a, a shot fired. And he takes him by surprise, so out of context, he turns around, and there's several shots fired. People are screaming, running, dive behind desks. And all of a sudden, he looks, the homeless man, large trench coat, is coming right to him. And there's no place to run, no place to hide. He freezes. <laughs> well, today, we, uh, we're continuing the series that we've been in for the last five or six weeks. Uh, for those of you who are new... It's called Epic, uh, Living the Vision. And uh, this is based on a, a, a letter. It's actually the second of a two-part series based on a letter from a man that we call Apostle Paul. He's writing from prison in Rome at the time. He's writing to a group of Jesus followers. It's about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, these followers live in the area of a major Roman city, quarter of a million people. It's called the city of Ephesus, capital of that particular province of the Roman Empire. And in the first series, which was called Epic, the Vision, Paul is sharing within this epic vision that God has for all of creation, to bring all of creation healed and restored under the leadership of its true king, King Jesus. And what we find out as we come to Jesus, that so we've actually been chosen before time began, hard as it is to believe, we've been chosen by name to be part of this vision to play an important role. And so our lives are truly epic. And so in the second half of the letter, then Paul, after he lays out the vision, begins to break it down, says, what does it look like to live out this epic life in the here and now, in our everyday life? And so the last several weeks, we've been in a section in chapter 4 of Ephesians. It starts at 4.17, runs through 5.2, where Paul says, all right, if we're going to live out this epic vision, 
that we're going to have to learn to rethink our lives. We're going to have to look at our lives from a totally different standpoint. We're going to have to enter into what he calls the school of Jesus, come under the, the leadership of Jesus as our teacher. We're going to have to learn how to put off the old, put on the new, uh, like clothing, so we can be transformed, become like God, live this epic life we've been called to live. And now we're in a section where he's giving us six practical examples. Here's what it looks like. Put off the old, put off the new. So, uh, so far, we've talked about uh, integrity uh, the first week, talked about anger last week. Today, topic on the table is approach to our careers, our jobs, our work, and financial generosity, how they interact. So I'm calling it working to give. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, have your apps, let's go ahead and open up to chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 28. We'll actually just be looking at one verse today, but it's powerful, packs a punch. This is third example. So we're going to put off, we're going to put on. What are we going to put off, what are we going to put on? So he says, verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Now we're starting with the basics. Welcome to church. <laughs> Some of you have been stealing. Now we're Christians. We don't break and enter anymore. We don't want our names in the post office. We don't want pictures on milk cartons. Uh, we're followers of Jesus now. So uh, remember, Paul's writing to non-Jewish, Gentile, pagan, follow, uh, pagan people who've come out of a life of a variety of things. Some of them made their living by stealing, uh, supplemented their income by stealing. And so he says, uh, we're gonna that's what we're going to put off. We're going to put off stealing. Well, what do we put on? Well, uh, he says, but instead we're going to work. We're going to learn how to work. And so as followers of Jesus, work's a good thing. We're going to get a job. And we're going to do something useful with our hands. In other words, we're going to do something that adds to the common good of society. So we're not going to work for the mafia. We're not going to be drug dealers. We're not going to star in porn films. Uh, we're going to do something that adds to the common good, find something useful to do. And uh, the reason is, and this takes us by surprise, that they may have something to share with those in need is the reason we're going to work, is uh, not just to support ourselves, but so we have something to share with those who are in need. So this would be someone who's truly in need. It's not people who are lazy. It's not people who don't want to look very hard for a job. It's not for people that uh, won't take uh, a job because it's lower income than my last job, but I'm not, I'm not, work, I'm not going to work for that. It's not going to talk about people that uh, I'm not going to work two or three jobs uh, to support myself. That's too hard. But we're talking about people who are truly in need. We're talking about people who cannot work to support themselves for whatever reason. Maybe, they're, uh, may, maybe they, uh, the, it's a down economy and there's no one hiring in their field. Maybe uh, they have a physical ailment. But for some reason, they're in the body of Christ, in the church of Jesus, they're in the new community of Jesus, and they just they can't support themselves. He says, hey, so we're, we're going we're to uh, stop stealing. We're going to start working. And one of the reasons we're going to work is going to work uh, to support those who can't work themselves, right? So this is one verse, simple verse, but powerful, profound. And so what today we're going we're gonna to start with, we're going to start with two principles of uh, big picture, what it looks like to live an epic life, everyday life. Come back, ask two important questions. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called epic, the big picture. Number one, first thing we need to catch as followers of Jesus is that work is a good thing. Now, some of you may disagree 
Some of you may say, you obviously don't work while I work. You're not my boss. I get that. But the Bible would say that work is a good thing. And so the way we approach our job, the way we work at our job, the reason we work, uh, that as a follower of Jesus, you can't grow, you can't live an epic life unless you approach your daily work uh, the right way. Work plays a huge part in our lives, doesn't it? We spend a lot of time there. God knows your job. He knows your boss. He knows where you work. He cares deeply about your work. And you can never live an epic life unless you approach your job the Jesus way. Okay? It's, it's, it's really important. Now, we talked about this last time in our series, uh, in, in our major series, the Genesis Chronicles. And we are not going to go into this big time today. I'm only going to skirt the surface And the reason is when we get to chapter six, we're going to come across this topic again. So look at this as a trailer, a preview of coming attractions today, that we're just going to barely touch this, but we learn this in Genesis, that when God created the human race, first man, first woman, he created them to work. Lots of times we miss this. We think the Garden of Eden, you just sat around drinking Mai Tais all day, right? Just naked and Mai Tais. That's it. Uh, pina colada, next, margarita, next, uh, baby, you're looking awesome, beautiful, perfect, uh, why don't you come over here, uh, that's the garden, right, so, but what we learn is before sin came in the world, uh, God created us in his image, God is a worker, Jesus said, my father works to this day, and I'm working, he's a creator, He's a designer. He's an architect. He's a warrior. He's a king. He's a shepherd. He's a potter. All through the Bible, God is presented as a worker. And guess what? You and I are created in his image. We are created to work. It's part of our core calling. It's part of our make it, part of our path to fulfillment. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. We get to, I say a few weeks, probably a few years, but get to chapter 6 of Ephesians. We get in the future some point, undesignated at this moment. So, uh, so work is a good thing. If we're going to live uh, an epic life, how we approach our job is extremely important, all right? And so, uh, in fact, it is so important that as Paul is working with new believers in the New Testament, that he says, hey, listen, if you don't have a job, and I'm assuming now you're not retired or financially independent, I, I, that's something you're doing, but for most of us, he says, uh, if, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're not working hard at your job, catch this, you are living in serious disobedience. In fact, um, in his letters to the Thessalonians, Paul talks about this. Now, when Paul came to Thessalonica, which is a little bit north of Corinth, it's in Greece, share the message of Jesus, there was intense persecution. So he could only be there a few weeks, share the gospel, and then run for his life. So in the next few months after, he writes back two letters to shepherd and mentor these new believers. We call them First and Second Thessalonians. So they're written very early. And so they're new believers. They need to learn this principle about work. They don't know this. Some of you, you, know, some of you are new believers. And you have been lazy your whole life. And now you're a follower of Jesus. And so, uh, as followers of Jesus, you need to learn, okay, this is what we do. We work. Some of you have been followers of Jesus a long time. You're still lazy. 
Hey, you missed that school, that course in the, the, in the school of Jesus. So what Paul wants us to get early on and catch this in his early basic instruction to new believers, he teaches on the value of work. And so you'll see it here in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is from the New Living Translation. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Catch that. He's only been gone about three months, but he was only there three weeks. But he instructed them on this issue of work. He said, uh, if you do that, then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend on others. Do you you understand this? The way you approach your job is one of the most important and powerful evangelistic tools you have. Don't you hate it? When there's someone at your job who is the lazy, complaining, negative person who are always trying to share Christ with people. I mean, seriously, you're like, you know what? If you want to help the movement of Jesus, just shut up. (laughs) The best thing you could do is not let anyone know you have anything to do with Jesus because no one likes working with you. You are negative, you're critical, you're bitter, you're a complainer, you're lazy, and we don't like you. So, maybe you'll go to heaven, but just keep it between you and God, right? (laughs) So Paul says, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, the way you approach your job is one of the most important tools you have in your tool belt to help prepare the sharing of the gospel, Are you with me in this? This is powerful. You know, that guy is positive. He goes the extra mile. When there's something that needs to be done, first to volunteer. Everyone wants to be on his team. And guess what? When you find out he goes to church, you're like, really? He's a Christian? He's too awesome to be a Christian. (laughs) And you're like, well, maybe I want to go to that church. You see what I'm saying? So Paul instructs him, right? Well, there's always some slow learners And so in in the second letter, he writes a few months later, here's what he says. He says, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now catch this, this is a command. It's not a request, not a suggestion. It's a command. It's in the name of Jesus. Paul says, this is from Jesus. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us about working. Now, this is interesting. In the New Testament, we're told if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus and are living in high-handed sin, clear sin, that they refuse to turn from, he says they can't be part of your church. We call it church discipline. There's, There's a rule, 1 Corinthians 5, you either hold on to the sin and let go of the fellowship, or you let go of the fellowship and you hold on to the sin. You cannot be in the church of Jesus holding on to high-handed, unrepentant of sin. It cannot have. Paul says it will spread through the body and it will ruin the person. So tough love, you need to remove them. Interesting, Paul says this applies to laziness. Wow. So he says, he says we, we, com- we commanded you, stay away from all believers who live idolized and don't follow the tradition. He says, for you know, that you ought to imitate us. Now let's talk about this. We'll talk about this a couple times today. 
Paul was a tent maker. Now, don't think of Coleman's. If you go to the Middle East and you see these Bedouin tents that you can like live in, uh, think that. He was a tent maker by trade. Now, as a spiritual leader, apostle, uh, he had the right to live off uh, income that was contributed in his ministry. Jesus said those who, make their, who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. But Paul had chosen, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, not to use that right because as a person taking the message of Jesus into cities for the very first time, he felt like if anyone thinks I'm doing this to get rich, I don't want to do, I don't want that. So I'm going to voluntarily give up my right to an income, support myself so that the gospel can advance. And so that's what he's talking about here. He says, for you know that you ought to imitate us even where we were not idle, his team, when we were with you. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not what? Eat. So you have someone in your life group, they're lazy. They've been out of work for four months. You say, what are you doing to find a job? Well, last week I put in three applications. Well, someone wanted to hire me, but I'm not settling for that. I used to make a lot more money. They're not willing to work. What do you do? You let them starve in the name of Jesus. All right. So... (laughs) So even while we were, not, we, were, we, were, um, we were not idle, we were with you. Even while we were with you, we gave this command, those unwilling to work will not eat. He says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives. You're not willing to work. Uh, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Catch this. We command such people. It's not a request. Command and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down, work, and earn their living. All right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've come to Jesus, how you work, how you approach your job, supporting yourself, working hard to do what it takes is part of your core calling to live out an epic life. If you want to live an epic life, lazy people need not apply. All right? Number one. Number two. So, number one, work is a good thing. Number two, generosity is a God thing. So, this is what strikes me in this passage, which is so profound to me about this passage, is not that Paul says, stop stealing and start working. He often teaches that. He often says, Work's an important thing. We just saw it in Thessalonians. Um, What's amazing about this passage is what he says, the reason you should work. Look at 428. 428 says, I mean, uh, no, it's not 20, it's 20. Yeah, 28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, must work doing something useful with his hands. Now, if you stop there, what I expect Paul to say is useful with your hands so that you can support yourself and win the respect of outsiders. That's what I expect him to say. I expect him to say something very much like Thessalonians, if I'd never read it. But he doesn't say that. He says you need to work hard so that you can help support those who can't support themselves. And so he is raising the bar. And so uh, 
he says, you know, before you came to Jesus, you used to steal to live. Now you've come to Jesus, I want you to work to live. Wait a second. More than that, I want you to work to give. See? Powerful. Now, this is a great example of what Paul's talking about. If we want to live an epic life, we have to rethink our whole approach to life. Uh, like, what, you know, if I were to ask you, why do you work? And I'm not asking for a show of hands here. Uh, why do you work? I think most of us in this room would say, the reason I work is because I have to pay the bills. And we would say, if I didn't have to pay the bills like I won the lottery, not saying I play the lottery, but if I won the lottery, that I would retire. I would stop working. I would invest that money and stop working. The reason I work is I work to live. And Paul would say, good job. That's good. You work to live. That's a good start. Most of the world would agree, but now you're Jesus followers. So we're going to rethink. As Jesus followers, I want you to work not just to live, I want you to work to give. And so I want you to think about this. This whole passage from 417 to 52. Paul says it starts if you want to live an epic life, you have to rethink your approach to life. It ends in 5, 1 and 2. It says the ultimate goal is to imitate your father, grow up and become like your big brother, Jesus, and live a life of love. You remember those are the bookends. Rethink, imitate. In between, six examples of what it looks like to rethink and imitate. I want, I want to take you here, 5, 1, and 2. I want to take you back here. So 5, 1, and 2, this is how this section ends. He says, follow God's example then, or some of your, your verses say uh, imitate. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. He says, you're, you're sons and daughters of God. So we learned in Ephesians, you were once enemies, You've now been born again. You've been made alive in Christ. You're in the family. You've been adopted into his family. You're his kids. And so as kids, you want to imitate your father, right? So he says, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. We talked about it a few weeks ago, as Christ loved us. So, so this is the goal. The goal is that we would rethink our lives, be transformed, become like God so we can imitate our father, live a life of love like our big brother. That's the whole passage. Here is his third example. Is this is what it looks like to rethink and imitate in the area of your work and the area of finances. Okay? Now, uh, Paul models this in his own life. And there is a fascinating passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 20. I put it there in your note sheet. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is meeting with the elders of Ephesus. Now we're writing, you know, he's writing this letter to Ephesians. He's meeting with the elders of Ephesus, not in Ephesus. He's meeting with them at a city ways away on the seacoast called Miletus. And uh, he's looking back on his time that he spent with them in Ephesus. Now, we know from the book of Acts, Paul spent longer time in Ephesus than any other location. He was there from two to three years. 
So he's looking back at his time there and he's reflecting and we're cutting in the midst of a, a, a monologue. But he's talking about his attitude towards finances when he was there. And so he says, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. As elders of the church, you know this. When I was there, I was never in this for the money. I was never scheming. He says, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs. We talked about that making tents. And the needs of those who are with me, my team, my team of leaders. He said, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You see this? So Paul says, when I was there for three years, two, three years, he said, I worked hard, you all were witnesses, and you watched what I did with that money, that I not only supported myself and my team, but I also helped those who were in need. And Paul says, the reason I did this is I was modeling the Jesus way. There's nothing more powerful in our life than a model. I can just tell you, I modeled it. And then he goes on, and he talks about the Jesus way. Remember, we've been talking about entering the school of Jesus. He goes back to the school of Jesus, and he says, um, he says, you should, remember, you should remember the words of Jesus himself. And here he quotes Jesus. It's more blessed, or it's better, to give than to receive. Now, What's really interesting is that this is the only time we read of this saying of Jesus in the whole New Testament. This saying of Jesus isn't in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not, he's not about. If Paul hadn't quoted Jesus, we wouldn't even know Jesus said this. Obviously, Jesus ministered for three years. We know very little of his teaching. It's representative, the most important stuff, but there's a ton of stuff. In the Gospel of John, at the end, John says, if I said everything that Jesus said and did, all the libraries in the world couldn't hold it. And so we have representative teaching. Paul says, hey, let me take you back to school of Jesus. Let me remind you of what Jesus taught us. I taught you this when I was with you in Ephesus. What Jesus says, it's better to give than to receive. So he said, There's, they're both good, he said, to receive a gift is a great thing. He says, to give a gift is even better. There is greater joy. There's greater fulfillment in life being a giver than a receiver. They're both good things. And so Paul takes them back to the school of Jesus. He says, remember what Jesus taught us about finances. It's better to give than receive. He said, that's why I worked hard so I could model this, that I was working not just to live, but working to give. And I did that for you. All right? So, uh, so, so, uh, so, it's, uh, so, so giving, generosity is a God thing. Now, okay, so that sets us up then for two questions. And, uh, and here comes rubber meets the road time, right? Now, for the last uh, several weeks, I've been beating up on you every weekend. And uh, you're probably hoping you get a break. But don't even think about it. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago, I told you a few weeks ago that if you're here every week, you're open to the Holy Spirit, you're listening to put off, put on, you'll be a different person in the seven weeks than you were to start. That's a guarantee. That's still good. Today we come to an area extremely important. We've talked about 
We've talked about integrity. We've talked about anger. Today we're talking about your approach to your work, which for most of us covers probably the majority of our working hours, our, daily, our living hours. And he's going to talk to us about our finances, where they play in the kingdom of God. And so let's see what he says. Two questions. So here's what I want you to ask. I want you to ask you to be open, to be honest, to be radically honest, to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, even if you don't like what the Bible is saying, if you don't like what I'm saying, that you're open and you make a commitment to yourself no matter what comes in the next 15, 20 minutes, that I'm not running, screaming out of here. All right, so there we go. Like the people did who just left. All right, uh, number, number one. The first question, and I'm not going to spend as much on this time because, again, we're coming back in six weeks or eight weeks or 20 weeks. Uh, number one is, how's your work ethic? How's your, okay, and let me ask you this way. Those who know you best on the job, what would they say? How's your work ethic? Today, what we learn is that following Jesus uh, and working hard uh, as unto him is a core part of our calling to live an epic life. So the question is, with those who know you best, how would they rate your work ethic? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I want you to think inside yourself. It'd be really interesting to do this, but I want to ask because there might be some people work at the same place. The question is, when it comes to your job, would you say, I love what I do. I would do it even if they didn't pay me. I hate what I do. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I would be sending an email tonight, quitting. Or somewhere in between. How do you feel at your job? Here's what I want to suggest. That even if you absolutely hate your job, you can't stand your boss. It's unfair. You don't get paid enough. There's no appreciation. There is no meaning. You don't see any purpose. It is routine. It drives you crazy. Every day you have to get up and fight to go to work. You hate it that bad. My hunch is most of you would not trade places with a slave. I said, okay, great. You hate your job? I've got a new job description. Perfect, you can leave tomorrow. Okay. Well, what is it? You get to be a slave. Oh, awesome. Now you're like, oh, that's okay. I think I'll just wait for my, what's in door number two? I'm not really. Uh. But the reality is in the early church that some scholars estimate up to 70% of the Roman Empire were slaves. A ton of slaves in the early church. And so in his letters, Paul often writes, hey, if you're a slave, here's how to approach your work. You know, it sucks to be a slave, but here's, your, here's how to do it. You're a Jesus follower. We're going to rethink this. So here we go. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters, your bosses, in everything. Just be a good employee. Follow through. And do it not only when their eye is on you, in other words, when the boss is around, and to win their favor. There's been a man pleaser, a woman pleaser, a brown noser. Uh, and he says, but do it with sincerity of heart. Like, in other words, work really hard with all your heart uh, at, at a reverence for the Lord. In other words, uh, 
The word in Greek is fear of the Lord. You, you recognize you're, you're a Jesus follower. He cares about your job. And so when you're working, you're not really working for that lousy boss. You're really working for Jesus. And, and so recognize that and take that seriously because you're going to have to give an account for how you work for Jesus. He could care less who the middleman is. When the vice president comes to your office to talk about your work and what you're doing, it doesn't really matter who your manager is. The VP's talking to you. If he's happy, life's good. And so he says, uh, what, so whatever you do, you know, you're a barista at Starbucks. You're an ER nurse. You're swinging a hammer on a construction site. You're a banker. You're an attorney. You're a doctor. You uh, clean houses for a living. He says, whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart. Can we say it out loud? All your heart. How many of you think that sounds like being lazy? All your heart. You're passionate. You're passionate. You're going to be the best at what you do. You're going to make this person glad that they have you, even if they're the, you're kind of your award of the year, voted would be jerk of the year. But you're going to be glad that you're on your team. And he said, we're going to work for the, and he said, um, we're going to, as working for the Lord and not for men, because you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. He will reward you for what you do. Catch it. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Men and women, this is not theory. This is reality. When you stand before Jesus, you will have to give an account for how you served coffee at Starbucks. And whether you did it at 190 when I come in or not. When you stand before Jesus and you're an ER nurse, you're going to have to give an account for the way you approach that. You work on a construction side, you drive a, a big rig, you, you have heavy machinery. When you go to Jesus, as he evaluates your life, you're going to have to talk about how you, how you approach your job. Are you with me on this? This, in other words, this is not fiction. This is reality. You will have to give an account for the way you approach your job. You know, no, I won't. I just have to give an account for how I serve in kids ministry. No, you won't. Kids ministry is every other week for two hours. You want to score high on that scale. Work is 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And you're going to, have to, you're going to be evaluated on that because when you're at work, Work has become your ministry. There's no secular and sacred here. You're a Jesus follower. Where you go, the Holy Spirit goes. Where you go, the temple of God goes. Where you go, God goes. And how you approach your work, you will give an account for. And if you want to live an epic life, you can't skip work. And so the question is, how's your work ethic? And again, I want to, and this to bring it home. If you're sitting here and your boss who's not a believer, or they are a believer, they came to Rocky Peak for the very first time tonight, and they saw you across the way and said, I had no idea they went here, would they be like, that makes sense now. I know why they're so awesome. Or would they look at you and say, man, I don't know if they go here all the time, but I'm sure glad they're here today. 
All right. And it goes for you as bosses, too. If you're a boss here, and your employee came for the first time to Rocky Peak, maybe not a Christian, and they saw you here, would they say, what in the world are they doing here? Or that would they say, that explains a lot. Now I understand why they're so awesome. Okay, now number two. Oh, yeah, number two. There's, and there's a note here. It says, stop beating up at this point. Number two. All right, so here we go. Just follow my sand track. Okay, number two. Um, are you growing in your generosity? Now, this can be where some of you are tempted to turn off. It's going to be like, oh, talking about money, I'm, I'm turning off. Uh, well, great, but just recognize you turn me off, you're turning Jesus off too. Because well, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to enter the school of Jesus here and see what he says. So, so one of the things we learn in the Bible is that God is a giver. Part of his core uh, makeup is generosity. Okay? Are you with me in this? Throughout the Bible, God is a giver. Part of his core character is generosity. And therefore, if we're going to grow up and imitate our father, live a life of love, become like our big brother, then this is one of the areas we're going to grow in our financial generosity. You know, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to followers of Jesus, and Paul is doing a fundraising drive. So he's raising money from his Gentile churches to pass on to the poor Christians who are Jewish in Jerusalem. So it's a great example of today, those who are working hard to give to those in need. And so he's, he's making this pitch to, uh, to the Corinthians, and they initially, when he first pitched it, were all in, began to give generously, but now uh, it's later on, and he's coming to collect, and they promised that they're going to put money aside regularly every week, so when he came, there'd be plenty of money to give, and yet they're, they're kind of breaking their commitment. And so he's writing to inspire them, get them back on track. And uh, he says, you know, Jesus is the ultimate model of generosity. And so there in your note sheet, he says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and the way I like to say it is that Jesus, before coming to earth, lived in the greatest gated community in the universe. Uh, And yet, for your sakes, he became poor. And we often don't realize this. Jesus went from heaven, which is not bad, to, uh, to like Bethlehem, right? Born in a barn. Uh, he grew up as a poor man, as a blue-collar blue laborer. Um, and uh, when he died, all he had clothes on his back, he was a poor man. Uh, Jesus could not support himself in his ministry. He depended on the financial contributions of others so that he could take time off work to minister. We're told in Luke 8, we're told specifically about some women in his life that were wealthy women who supported his ministry financially. Uh, And so Jesus was a poor man. And so we often forget this. Paul says he was rich, but he became poor. And he says he did this so that you through his poverty, through his poverty, literal poverty, might become rich. And so, uh, and, and then of course Jesus in his teaching, he talks about money a lot. Now here's what Jesus says. Let's go back to the school of Jesus. Jesus says that money is a test 
And I want you to catch this. He says, money is a test about whether we're serious about following him or not. And the reason is, is that money, possessions, wealth, has always been one of the greatest competitors for our affection in the human race. Money, wealth, has always been one of the greatest gods of the human race. And so for a person to come to Jesus as our God, our ultimate value, for a person to come to Jesus, we have to lay down money as our ultimate value. You can't have two ultimate values. Now we think we can. We think we can serve God and money. Jesus says, you can't. If you're gonna follow me, you come to a point in your life, in your walk with Jesus, where he will say, the road, the, there's a fork in the road. And he says, listen, when I died for you, I purchased you. You belong to me. You're my possession. That means all you have and all you are belongs to me. So now your stuff is not your stuff. Your salary is not your salary. Your paycheck is not your salary. It belongs to me. And so as a follower of Jesus, how we make our money, how we save our money, how we spend our money, and how we invest our money, and how we give our money is a deeply spiritual issue. And what Jesus says is you cannot bow the knee to me if you haven't turned over your checkbook. Can't happen. So the way he puts it is in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one or despise the other. That when push comes to shove, you have to say, who's the top? God here. And he says, you cannot serve God and money. You may think you can, but you can't. And you know what? There are a lot of people who see themselves as a Christ follower who have never surrendered their money to God. And can I tell you this? If you've not surrendered your money to God, then God is your money. It's that simple. And so... One of the ways you find out whether you have surrendered your money to God is in the area of generosity. So one of the things when you come to the Bible, that there are three kinds of generosity that as followers of Jesus were commanded to practice, not encouraged, commanded to practice. I'm going to give them to you real quick. Uh, number one kind of giving is what I would call percentage giving. Now, this flows from the Old Testament. We call this the tithe, right? So the tithe in Hebrew literally means a tenth. And so way before Israel came along, way before the law of God, the patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, Israel, they, they practiced tithing. Uh, when the law came along, God incorporated this in the law. This God said, if you do this, I'll bless you financially. If you don't, I'll curse you. And so percentage giving. Now, Christians... We'll sometimes disagree today whether the tithe, 10%, is for Christians today or whether we should just be led more by the Spirit. Honestly, most people that are on the Spirit side tend to say, well, it'll probably be at least 10%. I tend to be on the Spirit side. 
rather than the law side. But there's good arguments both ways. But in other words, what the Bible teaches is that regular, systematic giving off the top of our resources to support the kingdom of God, the church you belong to, that sort of thing, that's part of following Jesus, right? So that's number one, percentage giving. Number two, the second kind of giving is what I would call project giving. You see this throughout the Bible, that there are projects God calls his people to, building a tabernacle, building the temple, rebuilding the temple, different projects. Paul doing this project for the poor in uh, Jerusalem, right? It's a project. Uh, here at Rocky Peak, one of our projects right now is the assignment, right? We're coming to the end of that, uh, not the, or the end of phase one. Uh, it's a better way of putting it, but you know, to refresh and larger campus. Came to you two and a half years ago, shared that vision. A lot of you weren't here then, but shared the vision. We made our commitments as a church. Here's what we're going to going to give to make this uh, uh, vision come true, this kind of dream come true. Uh, and many of you have already fulfilled your commitment. You've already done that. You have three years to do it. You're already done. It's awesome. Uh, others of us are in process. You're right on track. But as followers of Jesus, we make a commitment. We keep our commitment. We don't talk a lot here. The weekend services a lot. But it's important. We've got final six months. Finish that off, right? But there's project giving. Okay, so there's percentage giving, project giving. Then there's a third kind of giving, and that's what this passage is about. It's giving to the poor. And what's interesting, this runs all the way through the Bible. This, uh, it's like, a, I was thinking today, it's like a river runs through it. This river of generosity, it runs through it. You'll see it in the Old Testament, in the law. Uh, the law of God. Um, this week, if you do your life group uh, study, if you have in there, you'll see a great passage again in the poor. You go to the book of Proverbs, the generous man prospers over and over again. You see it uh, uh, in Ezekiel. You'll see it all. You see it in the teaching of Jesus. You see it today in the, in the passage in Corinthians about giving the poor. And you, it runs all the way through. Giving the poor is an important part of following Jesus. Catch this, this is one of the reasons why two or three times a year here at Rocky Peak, we do an initiative for the poor. This is why. Uh, it's not primarily just so that we can help meets around the world. We are doing that. We want to help. We want to do water wells in Liberia. We want to help fight Ebola. We want to do farm animals. Uh, for, we want to help with the homeless here in LA, with food and clothing. And those are important things. We want to do that. Don't get me wrong. The catch is, what was on my heart when we started this years ago, I thought God put in my heart, was that as a church, we needed a formal way to constantly remind ourselves of, as followers of Jesus, we are not simply called to support percentage giving, we're not merely called to do uh, uh, the, uh, the, the project giving, that as followers of Jesus, we are called to love the poor. And we needed something structurally in our church that kept us in that in front of us at all times. See, when we do events like All Serve, we go out and serve the whole community, we do initiatives for the poor. It's not just about what we accomplish out in the community we're serving. It's not just about the money we raise for the poor. It's about building into the culture of our church a constant mechanism that says, as followers of Jesus, we don't just care about what happens here. We care about what happens out there. That we want to be a light in a dark place. We want to be good Samaritans. We want to be known in our culture as people who love people. We don't care who you are, what your story. We care about you. 
And so we do all serve so we can go out there as training wheels in our life. What these events are, what initiative for the poor is, it's training wheels in our life. If that's all we do for the poor, it's a sad thing. But it's a way of institutionalizing. It is a way of putting a mechanism in place. At Rocky Peak, we care about poor people. Jesus cared about poor people. The Old Testament cares about poor people. And we want a heart for the poor. You see? Mm. And so, it's a third kind of giving. There in your note sheet, when the Holy Spirit came in the early church, this, this was powerful, you see this begin to break out. In Acts chapter four, New Living Translation, it says the, the believers in this brand new church had just started. They were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own. Isn't that great? Yeah, not our own. We belong to Jesus now, it belongs to him. So they shared everything they had and God's great blessing was upon them. And there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring money to the apostles to give those in need. It's interesting, that, that's not the model for the whole New Testament. It was kind of a specific time and place. We don't see that elsewhere. But what it shows you is when the Holy Spirit came powerfully, they loved one another and it was lived out in their finances. Now, one of the, uh, one of the ways this works here at Rocky Peak, probably the primary, is through our life groups. Um, I remember a few years ago, uh, Lynn and I were in a life group. I wasn't leading the group. We were just members of the group. And uh, there was a young couple, uh, three small children in our life group. And a uh, hardworking guy, but it was during the recession. His industry had gotten hit really hard. And uh, our leader uh, knew they were struggling. They're, 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 they're not going to be able to pay the rent at their home. And uh, so he took him out, did perfect, did a great job of life group leadership. Took him out, talked to him about that, pressed in their finances, right, because you you don't want to support someone who's being lazy. You don't want to support someone who's being unwise, wasting money, you know, that kind of thing. And you, you don't want to support someone who's not willing to work. So he, he took him out, loved on him, probed into that, got the right answers. And he came back to the group offline, didn't embarrass the person, and said, here's the thing. It's a legitimate need. They can't pay their rent. And for the next couple months, we, we paid their rent. We collected several months. He's told the, told the group, if you, can, if you can contribute, if you can help out, if God's blessed you, this is what they need. And they need several thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars a month, 2,500, whatever it was a month. And we paid the next three months, we paid two out of three months, we paid as, as, as a life group. And, uh, and then they, they got back on their feet and they, they, they went from there. This should be life as normal at Rocky Peak. We take care of one another. We don't care. We don't take care of lazy people. We don't take care of people. That job's below me. We don't take care of people. Well, I work 20 hours and I'm really busy and I don't know. It's going to be hard. I have to work 70 hours. What do you expect me to do? Work 70 hours. I do it all the time. It's good for your health. All right. So, uh, so we're not going to. Hey, but if you're in true need, you can't support yourself. We take care of our own. We love one another. We do it the Jesus way. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. So, so, uh, so the question then um, is, is where are you in, in all of this? And, and how are you doing in your generosity? And we started the day with the story of this young attorney, right? And so take you back to that scene. He's coming out of the elevator, coming down the hall. Here's the shots, turns around, people running for their lives. Uh, 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 the homeless guy is there. Homeless guy has come off after him, got the gun, uh, pointed at him, and uh, he's scared to death. 
And, uh, and, and by the way, this is not a true story. A lot of stories they tell you are true. It's not a true story. Um, but I didn't make it up. I read it in a real novel. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, it comes from, it comes from uh, uh, John Grisham. Any John Grisham fans out there? Yes, it's John Grisham. Right, I hate it when he writes like non-thriller crime things. When he writes on life, it's horrible. But if he just writes on spies, you know, the normal attorney stuff, awesome. Anyway, so uh, this book's called The Street, the Street Lawyer. But the reason, when I read this book, it had a deep impact on me. And I'll tell you why. Story goes, uh, he's going down the hall. He, 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 he gets the young man. He, he, he finds eight other attorneys. Uh, he takes them into a room, big conference room tables there. He uh, throws them a rope, has them tie themselves up wrist to wrist. Uh, and he takes off his trench coat. He's got 12 sticks of dynamite. These guys are all attorneys, top firm. They're making tons of money. He wants, his, here's his question. How much did you give to the poor last year? And they're all fumbling around. He says, who does your taxes? Second floor. Second floor does our taxes. We're not going anywhere until you get your, tax, to get your last year's uh, in, you know, your, uh, tax, tax forms. Takes a while. They ship them up, put them through the door. He has a young attorney read them off one by one. And these, these nine attorneys who'd made millions of dollars the previous year, not one dollar had been given to the poor. And here's why it impacted me. I read this many years ago. As a follower of Jesus, Jesus taught Lynn and I young, when we were struggling and made no money to do percentage giving. I remember that. I remember going for the Lord, saying, Lord, I belong to you, I love you, I want to do whatever you want. I've been taught about this thing in the tithe my whole life. I don't know if it's from you or not. If it's from you, you want me to do it, I'm good. If not, uh, I don't want to do it just because I've been taught that. You tell me what to do, we'll do it. Two weeks later, I just felt great clarity. His question to me is why, if this is your church, it's where you're going to raise your, I was in a ministry, by the way. This is your church, it's where you're going to raise your kids, it's where you use spiritual growth. Yes, Lord, well, why would you want someone else picking up the tab for your spiritual life? I realized I'm a freeloader. There are people out there giving generously. They made, made it all possible. Lights on, pastors there, growing. Someone else was paying the bill for my freight. And right then and there, yes, Lord, we will. And he's blessed us for that. Project giving over the course of our life. We've been involved in many building things missionary things, whatever. There's been times God's asked us to give very generously. And we, we have had those two, three down. But when I read that, when I read that thing, I read that question, how much of your money you gave directly to the poor, not your alma mater, not your church, whatever, to the poor. And it stopped me in my tracks. Because somewhere along the line, I'd missed that lesson in the school of Jesus. And so the question is, your life and my life, how, how are we doing this area of generosity? For some of you, this whole idea of percentage giving is brand new. Well, welcome to Jesus. Uh, for some of you, project giving, it's a new concept. Hey, it's what it means to follow Jesus. We give as he leads us. We give it to him. But this third area that we're focusing on today, is there anything new that God wants to do in your life to make a part of your life to give to the poor? Maybe even set aside regularly in your budget. Just a kind of little account from time to time so that when opportunity comes up, their need comes up, that you're like, you don't, I don't have it because I've been saved. I've been saving for two years for this. You see? Let's pray together.
Father, I, I just love what you're doing in our church. I love the way you're shepherding, mentoring, speaking. Lord, I sense it. Um, I sense it in me as you're preparing these messages in this season. And it's just, it's a powerful thing. And Lord, we want to grow up. We don't want to stay babies. We want to grow up. We want to be like you, be like our big brother. And so, God, we, we want a, a new approach to our work, a new approach to uh, our finances. We want to grow to be like you. And so, God, today is really, truly a moment of surrender. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I just want to ask you, is there anything God is speaking to you? We're going to sing a couple songs about surrendering right now. And what you know, what I know, is when we surrender, there comes freedom. When we surrender, there comes growth. When there's surrender, there's joy. When we surrender, we grow larger, bigger, stronger, faster. We become the people we're created to be. And of course, in these areas, he blesses us on top of it. Given, it shall be given, right? Work as unto the Lord. He'll reward you. And so as we go in this time, as we receive our offering today, let's go before him and worship and say, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. My life, my car, my home, my finances, my stocks, my land, my job, my salary, my workplace, I give to him. Let's stand and worship. For the sake of the world, a world that doesn't know him, we need to be a light in a dark place. We need to be a city on a hill. Jesus said a light on a, a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light your light, put it under a bushel. And today we've talked about two things that if we're going to light it up, uh, we need to do. It needs to start in our workplace. Amen? Amen. We need to be the best workers our people, our, our bosses have. We need to be people that are loving others, positive, even in the hardest things, serving hard because we're working not for ourselves or not for a boss. We're working for our king. And then we need to grow in our generosity in all three phases that we might have the resources we need to unleash a movement and that the needs of the poor might be met. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you two weekends. Have a